Andrew Tate is what men with no self-esteem think high self-esteem looks like. Unpack that a little bit. So it's funny, like watching the rise of Tate because he's like a copy and paste of 20 million plus copies sold. The champion, the no fucks champion. <laughs> Official title, I think. Mark Manson, welcome. Welcome Thanks, to, to the pod. When Subtle Art came out and it blew up and it was like at the top of all the bestseller lists and stuff, like everybody in the publishing industry were like, oh, you're like the new phenom debut author, overnight success. And all this. <laughs> I'm like, overnight success? I've been grinding on a blog for right. 10 years. Like, what do you mean overnight success? Were you good at the beginning or did you no. suck? <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I was a fucking disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I was a total disaster. You obviously became a great writer, but I want to talk about what you're doing now, mm. which is the YouTube video or the YouTube channel. And is that like the main thing? When I saw Mr. Beast, a light bulb went off. I was like, I love Mr. Beast. And like, I've been watching his shit for a long time. But one of my frustrations with him is that it's all very... Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off on the road. Let's travel, never look. All right, quick message from our sponsor. We know that growing pains hurt. And when you're a startup sales team, you know that pain all too well. Thankfully, there's the HubSpot for Startups program. It's a special program that gives startups discounts on HubSpot. The platform unites your entire front office from marketing to sales to support. Plus, they have a ton of other resources that startup founders can use to scale. So get ready to close more deals and make growing pains a thing of the past. Visit HubSpot.com slash startups to see how much you can save. Intro to the camera here. We got three-time New York Times bestseller, I believe. Yeah. We have uh, 20 million plus copies sold. The champion, the no fucks champion. <laughs> Official title, I think. Uh, Mark Manson, welcome. Welcome Thanks, to, to the pod. Good, good to be here. Uh, been a fan for a while. Um, although I got to admit, I read like a ton of your blogs and I didn't read the book until mm. like, and I still haven't actually finished the book, but I, until we booked this interview, I was like, I should probably go and read the actual book that he's <laughs> most famous for. Yeah, yeah. But there's something to like the fun of like, oh, I liked his, his old shit, you know, like the cool band thing. I was a fan before he was cool. Right. Yeah. That, that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I actually was going to ask. So, so when I was writing that intro, I was like, this is pretty great, pretty impressive. Yeah. But I, and I always wonder this, like when you were younger, like, let's say, let's say a researcher was watching you when you were like, I don't know, between the ages of 10 and 20, mm -hmm. would it have been noticeable that you approached things a little different even when you were younger? I was definitely different when I was young, for sure. I don't think it would have been obvious that I, I would, I was going to end up an author or in the personal development industry or whatever. But, uh, you know, my whole life, my teachers were like, Mark's different. He's special. <laughs> we wish he would do his homework. Uh, we wish he would stay awake in class. Uh, <laughs> but he could do great things one day. Like that right. was kind of the constant refrain throughout my childhood. Because you just weren't interested in school or what was the situation? Yeah, I was bored and, and I would, I would just, whatever I was into, that's just kind of what I, like I used to bring poker books to class and read them in the middle of like physics class <laughs> and my teachers would get mad at me. I'm like, well, I'm just like studying poker, you know? Were you stuff. big into like, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, during like the Chris Moneymaker yeah. phase basically? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Um, did you ever like go all in on it? I tried. So it's funny. Um, early on in college, I, I decided to sit down and take it really seriously. I made a few thousand bucks, which when you're like 19 or Huge. 20, it's massive, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I can pay rent all summer right. off my poker winnings. And then uh, I hit you my- You were in college? 
Yeah, this so is, you're paying like you know twenty grand for school, but ignoring school to make three hundred dollars in a yes, sit and go. Exactly, like <laughs> I'm staying up till five a.m. Like like I made two hundred bucks last night, right? Um, and and then I hit my first big downswing and lost like half my bankroll in like maybe three days, four days, right? And I was like, oh shit, I don't think I can pay rent this month. You know, I'm like, this kind of sucks actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a very <laughs> very unhealthy. Uh, unhealthy life. I love the game, but the lifestyle that it requires, like the grinding, the the patience, like the the emotional fortitude to like handle the ups and downs. It's yeah. After about six months, I was like, I don't think I'm built for this. Right. And you, uh, there's a lot of like degenerates. You end up hanging around, around like oh, yeah. uh, doing it. So you kind of look around. <laughs> you're like, this isn't healthy. It's like yeah, yeah. It's like they're not smoking, but there's like a secondhand smoke of their like life. That's like I don't want to be inhaling right now. For sure. For sure. <laughs> So I think we had kind of a similar um, set of interests. Maybe it's like very common for, I don't know, guys that are mm. going through some rites of passage. It's like, yeah, you think you can play poker or like count cards in blackjack. And then, yeah, yep. then you sort of move <laughs> on to like the next phase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, where, you know, there's a, I think 2005, mm -hmm. a book comes out that I know influenced you. It influenced me. Yep. Uh, do you know what I'm talking of about? Of course, the game. <laughs> the game. Neil Strauss. Okay. Yep. Ironically, my girlfriend at my girlfriend in high school before I went to college, we were like, yeah, let's break up. We're going to college in yeah, two yeah. different places. We were pretty mature about it. But she was like, here's a book. And I was like, that's the best backhanded compliment <laughs> gift I've ever received. It's like your girlfriend giving you a book called yeah. The Game. And it's like, you need this for college. Yeah, yeah. Um, describe how did you find it? And what was like the next 24 hours after you started reading it? You know, it's funny. It, it, it hit me at, depending on your perspective, the exact best or worst moment possible. Um, so my first girlfriend in high school had just cheated on me and left me for another dude. And I was completely heartbroken, right. just gutted, you know, weepy, whiny. And sucks even more in high school because like leaving you is like, she's still there. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're still in the hallway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I by this time I was in college, okay. but like we had gotten together in high school. Anyway, it was, we didn't, we didn't, you made the right move. So we didn't split up. Right. We, were, we were like, oh, we're in love. We're going to make it work. I'm right. going to drive back every other week right. and all this shit. And it's like, no, that's a horrible idea. And so, of course, she found another guy. Right. And you should actually look in the camera and be like, to the person don't who's do that. 18 right now. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to work. Just, the long distance like, girlfriend when you both go to college. Dude, just don't do it. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I, I was absolutely heartbroken and distraught and just had, like very angry and confused. And I remember being in a bookstore and seeing, seeing that book like on the table. And I remember my first reaction was disgust. I was like, it's like, what is this? Like, who would read this? Right. And then I'm like, well, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll read a few pages. And, and I mean, Neil's such a good writer. Like it talk about somebody who knows how to like hook your attention and kind of suck you into a world. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I think I sat down and read probably the first 50, 100 pages there in the bookstore. Uh, and then I think I, I read the entire thing in just a couple days. And and that was pretty much it. Like, I was like, all right, like, you know, the one girl who ever liked me completely fucked me over, broke my heart. And every other girl I've ever met seems to have no interest. So clearly I'm not doing something <laughs> right. right. You know, like I'm willing to give anything a go at this point. And, uh, so yeah, I, I kind of got sucked into that world for, um, well, I guess four years, five years. Uh, and then it eventually kind of stumbled into my first business was in that world as well. Yeah. And I want to talk about that. Cause I think it's again, like I, it was like a formative phase of my life too. Mm -hmm. And 
So today, I think a bunch of people, rightfully so, you know, like, like you, admire you, follow you, and you like add a lot of value to people's lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even though self-help kind of like sometimes gets a bad rep, like you're by, almost by definition helping people with sure. themselves, right? Like the most sure, important sure. thing. But I would say like, it's probably a rabbit hole you're, you went down now and content you create now, but that previous rabbit hole you went down and content you created was around, oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, oh yeah. Mod this is your first book, right? Yep. Uh, models attract women through honesty. Yep. Um, at least that subtitle is, is like, you know, well, we can get to this in a second, but, but before that, that was a very, very intentional. Yeah. That that's jumping ahead a couple of years, yeah. but yeah. Keep so going. let's start with, okay. So you read the game, you get, you know, kind of the, uh, like I always say this about Tim Ferriss's book, the four hour work week is like, after you read that book, you have the four hour fever. Yeah. It's like for the next four hours, you reconsider your entire life yes. <laughs> and like a fever dream. Yeah, and yeah. I just tell people that when I give them the book, I'm like, you're going to have this yeah. schedule some time. You're yeah, going to need yeah. this weekend to have the four hour fever. Um, same kind of thing happens with the game and you become, you start, I guess you describe it, you start practicing it. So let's start, start with like, you start actually like practicing it for people who haven't read the game and don't know the core principles of it. Like what yeah. stood out to you at that time of like, Oh, I used to do things this way, but this is like this kind of thing I'm learning, this new skill I'm learning. Well, so the, there's a funny thing about the game, which is, and it's, it's funny too, because I would put the four hour work week in this category as well. And that those are, if I was to make a list of like the five most impactful books that I've ever read in my life, those two would be Same. on the list for sure. Right. That said, I don't actually, like m the majority of advice in both of those books, I don't think actually was applicable to me or actually worked for me. Right. It was more just showing what was possible, right? So, um, and definitely more so in in the games case than for you know four hour work week. It it, it it's primarily principles and mindsets. So, you know, my my issue with the four hour work week was that it just it made it sound way easier than it was. It's right. it's you know the 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 real four hour work week is uh you know work sixteen hours a day so you can make money while you sleep. <laughs> um, but with the game. I think the the really powerful concept that was very life changing was that social skills and dating are skills that you can practice and get better at. Right. Like that never occurred to me. It just occurred like at, up to that point in my my life. Like most young people, I just kind of assumed like, well, either girls are into you or they're not, right. and if they're not, you're kind of you're kind of fucked right. right or not fucked in that case but like <laughs> it, it so reading that book and being like oh you can actually go out and practice and get better social skills and get better at being sexual and flirting and and connecting with women and doing all these things like that those are all skills that you can practice like that was very revelatory for me that said when i actually went out and tried to do the stuff in the game which was a bunch of cheesy pickup lines and they called them routines like right. we're like like stories magic, magic routines <laughs> stories you would memorize and all this stuff it was a fucking disaster like yeah. it was just it, it was completely corny and and i felt very inauthentic and out of place but like what was impactful is that it got me out of the house and like talking to women on a regular basis and i realized like hey if i actually just get myself in front of a bunch of cute girls i'm actually i'm not that bad like i can talk i can make a joke like I can use my own personality as a starting point and just build from there, right? right? And so that's kind of what I started doing through, throughout college. And by the end of college, I kind of had developed the reputation as 
the big party guy, the player, you know, the guy who had four different girlfriends right. or whatever. For me, I had the same experience you had, except for uh, the lamest moment, the rock bottom moment mm -hmm. is when you hear another guy saying the same thing because he read the same book and you're yeah. like, oh shit, there's like a hundred of us running around. Yeah. It's like this thing I was going to say by itself was actually a little bit cringe. Yeah. Maximally cringe if she heard this from another guy. And I was like, oh, I can't yeah, just like, can't. there's no memorizing your way to success here. But the principles I thought were good. And you're right. The forcing function of like getting you to like kind of uh, believe uh, mm -hmm. the self-confidence to believe that this might actually work, that you can actually approach somebody and have a good conversation and that that could lead to something yeah. was pretty powerful. I even do this with podcasts. Like I have like a note of like, what's the first thing I'm going to talk about with you? Like, yeah. I kind of know that the next 90 minutes will be great either way. Sure. But that first minute is like the social anxiety piece, which is like the same thing with, with these pickup artists, which is like, most people just aren't even approaching anyone yeah. with anything that's of interest that might lead to a conversation. Um, so for me, that was like the bigger thing. Do you uh, still have that kind of like, did you just think about that moment of social anxiety, that first, um, that first moment and like, was the game helpful in like getting those reps? For sure. I mean, I, I, I had a lot of social anxiety when I was young and, and it's funny cause it took me a long time to appreciate that, that, you know, cause when you're kind of naive and, a newbie, you look at all the pickup lines and you think it's the pickup line that's working. Right. And it's like, no, it's actually the pickup line is just the excuse to kind of get you through your anxiety, to give, give you the courage to actually go say something. It doesn't really matter what you're saying. Right. And uh, I actually had a very, for, you know, kind of like you hearing, overhearing another guy say a word. I actually got very lucky early on because I was trying to use some of the stuff I read in the game. I started, I tried to do like some fucking coin magic tricks yeah. and stuff like just total disaster. <laughs> and, uh, I remember I, I, I was having no luck whatsoever. And I actually got very fortunate in that I was in a bar or something. And I was talking to these three girls and I was like trying to do a magic trick and they were like really into it and really <laughs> excited. And I kept fucking it up. And then like, it kind of got awkward. And at a certain point they realized they're like, wait, like you're just doing a thing, like kind of hit on us. <laughs> and I like tried to make a joke and it was super lame or something. And they kind of rolled their eyes and they started to walk away. And I was like, wait, I have another magic trick. And, <laughs> and I remember one of the girls turned around and she looked at me and she was like, you know, you were kind of cute. Like you should just be yourself. And I was like, right. <laughs> you know, like head explode. And, I was, and, and that was kind of one of the, those first moments where I'm like, you know what? Like, why don't I just start? like use my personality as the baseline and then iterate on stuff that <laughs> already feels natural and trying to, instead of trying to be like some fucking weird dude in a book, right. You know, that I can't believe I spent $10,000 in two years of my life studying all this shit. I could have just like walked up and been like, hi, where are you from? Right. And it would have gotten me the exact same results. <laughs> There's a book that's like a food diet book. I haven't even read the book, but the last page of the book is like a summary. Uh, you mm -hmm. might know the book because you're, you're, you're an author. Um, it's like, here's the, like, after all the studies and all the diets, cause like, you know, there's like a trillion diets out yeah. there and like, they're like, super, some are super complicated. You're like, you know, peeing on a strip to see if you're like <laughs> in ketosis or not. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. You can do, you can take it to the nth degree. And it was like, yeah. So it seems like the rules are, um, you know, eat real food, like not like packaged processed food, like eat real food, not too much. Yeah. And, like, and it was like, that was like basically the, the, the core of the advice. Yeah, and it's that. like, oh yeah. And like, but if you actually intensely followed that, you yeah. would get all the results you want. But like, there's this thing where we sort of search for this, like 
other answer, the secret answer. Yes. It can't possibly be just that. There, there's a weird thing that happens at a lot of these industries, which is the concepts and frame, frameworks that sell well are often counterproductive. Right. And you see this in diet and nutrition. You see this in exercise for sure. You see this in social skills, personal development, self-help. You see it in the pickup world. Like, it's really sexy. Like, when a guy stands up and he says, I have a three-step model that works every time right. and you're going to get laid like tile and you're going to lose 100 pounds. <laughs> and, you know it's really sexy and you really want to buy it and you like want to believe it and it works and it makes people millions of dollars, but then it doesn't actually, it's not actually good advice. Right. Whereas the good advice, like this is the other hard thing about these industries is that the good advice is boring. And so, and the things that work, and again, this is true in personal development. It's true with social skills, true with diet, nutrition, everything. The stuff that works is boring. It's, it's not the information that's hard. It's simply doing it. It's implementing right. consistently over a long period of time. That's the hard part. And there's no easy way to sell a solution to that. Yes. So the easy thing to sell a solution for is, you know, my three steps that work every time. Right. And I see this everywhere, like, because I'm mostly in the kind of startup business world. Um, and like, you know, Warren Buffett, uh, they're like, you know, Warren, you're pretty open about your strategies. Yeah. Um, and they're not like that complicated. Um, why do you think that more people don't do this? And it was either him or Charlie Munger that were like, because nobody wants to get rich slow. Yep. It's like, yeah, we just did this in public. And he's like, you know, I made most of my wealth like from the ages of 70 to 90. And yeah. like, uh, you know, no, nobody, nobody wants, wants to that. do that. Nobody yeah, wants to hear that. Yeah, they they yeah. want to hear that guy who's not done this. <laughs> yeah. Tell them that they can do X, Y, Z faster or in a different way, in a complicated way. That, like, yeah. You, you know, you just didn't have the info. Now that you got the info. Now it's all going to work. Yeah, like, right. Same thing like, uh, you know, Y Combinator, which is the most successful, like, you know, startup uh, investor and, and, and uh, accelerator. Their number one advice is just make something people want. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, what's the <laughs> oh, great really? strategy startup <laughs> advice? And like, well, and then, but then and, but yeah. the, the, the way it helps is like, if you just tell someone that, they don't know how to use it. Yeah. But the question, like the audit, when you're like, so do you think that people want this? they're like of course and I was like cool so what tells you that what yeah. what evidence is showing you that people want this and they're like well we don't have any dude it, it's <laughs> it's it's like that bell curve meme where yeah, it's the, like you the know genius the, and the, the, yeah the, 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 the idiots like just make something people want <laughs> and then in the middle of the bell curve it's like well you've got to have these 12 steps and figure out right. these strategies you know and then the, the jedi is like just make something people want like, i love that <laughs> that's i i told that i was like that's so the meme of the true. year. That's it's the meme so of the year. <laughs> true across so many domains. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I catch myself all the time and For I'm sure. like, I need, what would the Jedi, oh, the Jedi would just say like, yeah, do it because it's fun instead of like, yeah, you know, all these other things. Yeah. Um, when you look back, because Ben's been flashing a bunch of your like, I, I noticed Ben, Ben, oh, I, God. Uh, he flashes a bunch of your things oh, that are like, God. this is the cringe section of that. Don't worry. It gets better. The interview will get better, but this is the cringe section. Uh, <laughs> But you have like a bunch of these things that I'm like, they're like just amazing headlines. We're gonna talk, we're gonna talk titles <laughs> later because you're like a title master. Sure. But when you look back, do you how what's the meaning you put or like what's the label you put on these things? I think we're both of the mindset that like mm -hmm. life is not really about what happens. It's kind of like what you what you make of it and also what you tell yourself, the story you tell yourself about what happened. Yeah. Um, so like when you look back on that phase, is it just like um cringe and i don't want to ever think about like i hope my i forget about that is it like no that was actually really useful for me in these ways is it just hmm. funny now like what's your reaction now
All right, everyone, a quick break because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called MoneyWise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10,000, 30,000, 50,000? And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called MoneyWise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called MoneyWise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm the Sam Parr. Or you can just type in MoneyWise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What You Should Put in a Job Description to Get the Perfect Hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. It's a really good question. I I would say it's probably like one third cringe, one third, I think it was actually really important and formative in a lot of ways. And then one third just kind of funny and just like, can you believe that happened? Uh, I actually, when I moved out here to LA, um, I met up with Neil for the first time and we spent a day together and we spent like half the day just kind of being like, can you believe that happened? Right. Like, can right. you believe we actually did that? I, I look back though, especially now that a little bit more time has gone by, I really do think there, there was kind of an underrated factor. And I think this is very relevant because this is starting to happen again with Gen Z with, I think the pickup artist industry is underrated as a cultural or social phenomenon, particularly for young men trying to find identity or find themselves in like a very confusing world with a lot of information. Uh, Because it's when I look back at that time, like, yeah, like we in the industry are the coaches. We used to joke with each other. It was like, yeah, we all came for the women, but we stayed for the, for the other dudes. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it's most of the guys who really got into that. It wasn't about the girls. It was, they needed to feel accepted and, and, and validated by other men. And, and just, I guess, I don't know their masculinity, right? There was like a very, there was like this yearning for like a masculine role model. And I always found that I was very aware of that at the time, but I didn't really know what to make of it. Uh, but as the years have gone on, I look back and I think like, I think it blew up to the extent it did because, because of that. I don't think it was really about the, the dating or the girls. Right. I think it was just, it was a generation of kind of post-feminism, a generation of like men who had fewer father figures, fewer role models, a lot more confusion about like who they're supposed to be in the world. And I think we're, that's, that cycle's coming back today and you're seeing a lot of that happen again right. with a different set of role models and uh a different industry well let's talk about one of them uh so i think andrew tate is like the for sure uh you know poster boy right now of that ben, uh ben, can you pull up that tweet he has you have a great tweet about energy i want to ask yeah you about. yeah andrew tate is what men with no self-esteem think high self-esteem looks like as a rule narcissism is is always mistaken for confidence by those who have no confidence 
From there, it doesn't take much for the dynamic to turn abusive slash exploitive. Yeah, so it's funny, like, watching Tate, the rise of Tate, because he just, he's like a copy and paste of half the guys that were in that industry. Right. You know, it's like all the shit he says. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, this guy used to say that. Oh, yeah, that guy used to say that, too. Oh, yeah, that guy made a lot of money saying that. You know, <laughs> like, it's all the same shit, just right. recycled in a new package. I, I do think Tate is uniquely charismatic and i think he has an interesting backstory that a lot of got young men re respect right and so that that is adds to the it's given him a lot more amplification it's also just a different era with social media and everything right. uh but and he like layered on an mlm so yeah, he was like, yeah, it, yeah right so he just combined like three of the most powerful forces in the world yeah like, seriously <laughs> pretty insane charisma <laughs> yes. with like this like cocktail of like words <laughs> that cast a spell on young men yeah and then an mlm distribution model where he's like look cut up clips of me and post them everywhere and like that's how you rise in the ranks and you get like you're gonna make money by promoting me it's which is insane it, it's honestly somebody really needs to do uh i mean it probably we probably need some time but like 10 years from now, I want to see somebody do like a really good book about him. Right. And like a, a fair book, not like trying to smear him. Like take an honest look of like, who was this guy? Why did he blow up? Why right. did this work? Right. Like because it's I think it's easy. Obviously, you can take the worst things that he said. It's no secret. Some of the bad things he said. And you can just hammer on those all day. But like, I think that's way less interesting than just trying to understand like why is there such a demand for this guy again, right? Like I thought we kind of got over this and this kind of ties back into my first book models. So like the pickup industry by like 2009, 2010, I had really, really become burnt out on, on just the toxicity of it. And I, I really felt that there were kind of two strains of dating relationship advice for men. One was basically promoting narcissism, selfishness power dynamics right and sure that stuff can get you laid a lot but it's it's at the expense of preventing any sort of happy or joyous long-term relationship or intimacy with any female ever right so you're like giving up that potential to just like put notches on your bedpost and brag to your buddies and that is a very bad trade-off like if <laughs> if you look at just the, in the terms of a man's overall lifespan, that's a very bad trade-off. Um, and then, so I was, I was kind of like, okay, how do we like detoxify this, this advice? What does that look like? Um, how do we, and it's not just about treating women with respect, but it's treating yourself with respect too. Because like what a lot of guys don't realize is that, yeah, obviously if you objectify women, it's bad for the women. But it's bad for you too, because you're objectifying yourself. You're start you're basically just measuring yourself by how wet your dick gets. And like that's a very demeaning way to view yourself and view your own self-esteem. And so I was kind of fed up with the whole thing. I knew I wanted to get out. I wanted to pivot out of the industry. And I was like, well, if I'm getting out of the industry, I might as well just write the book that everybody needs to hear and nobody wants to hear, which is that this is all toxic and fucked up and stop doing it. Were you good at the beginning or did you suck? No, <laughs> <laughs> no dude, I was a fucking disaster. <laughs> I was a total disaster. Um, you, do you want me to talk about the content side or the marketing side? Uh, whatever's more interesting. You, you tell me. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk, start with the content side. It's less interesting, but I'll start with it because it's quicker, which is just like 
most of my content was bad at first. And I think that's true of anybody. And you just get those reps in. You know, I, I back in the day, back when blogs were still a thing, I used to get asked all the time, like, how do I start a blog? How do I grow a blog? Make, make, make a living as a blogger. <laughs> my answer was always the same, which is like, write 100 blog posts, come ask me again. Right. And uh, have you seen, by the way, Mr. Beast has like almost the exact verbatim answer. Yes. And I love it because, <laughs> yeah, it's the exact same thing I used to tell people. And it's, it's a combination of like, it's actually the right advice because you need a bunch of reps yes. and you need to suck for a little bit and get better. Just try to make each of the next video better. And nobody but it's does also, it. it's a filter. It's like, are you serious or are you not serious? Yeah. I will help you if you're serious. Yes. <laughs> but 99% of you are not serious. This is the easy test. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the funny thing is, too, is that it's like most people, if they go write 100 blog posts and try to make each one better, by the 100th one, they don't need the advice anymore. Yeah, they exactly. know what they're doing wrong. Exactly. They know what they need to get better at. So was there anything that got you better? What, did you read something or follow some or uh, you know, model your stuff after someone? Like, do you remember how you got good in terms of writing and content? My two big inspiration, I was a huge Bill Simmons fan back in the day. Wow. We were like very, very aligned. <laughs> like, uh, you know, yeah. Back in the day, page, you know, page two. Page you two. Know, yeah. yeah. And um, it's, I remember reading his, I was like, his column each week was like an event in my life. It was like, I was so excited to go read it. And I remember thinking, I was like, I want my art. Because back then the meta in, this is pre-newsfeed, pre-social media, everything. So like in the blogosphere, the idea, everything, all traffic was either SEO or um, the blog roll type thing. Yeah, like link farming. Yeah. Like, you know, you would like write something spicy so that a bunch of other bloggers would want to comment on it. So they'd link to right. you and like all this stuff. And it be it was very much a volume game. So like the the standard advice was always, you know, don't write one big blog post a day. Write 20 20 single paragraphs and right. post those as individual blog posts each day. It just, that's what's going to make you grow. And I always hated that. That always felt very shitty and uninspiring. And so, and I loved Bill Simmons. And I was like, man, I want to be the Bill Simmons of my industry, right? right? Like I want to have these like epic 10 page posts that that guys just get lost in. And right. like, you know, they like schedule their week around. Right. And you end up feeling like a friend. It's yeah. like, it's a hang. Yeah. And I think it that probably hurt me in the short run and it helped me in the long run. Yeah. I tried to meet up with him when uh, so we came out here. I was like, I want to schedule. And I was yeah. like, who's my dream guest? I was like, I would love to have Bill Simmons on this because yeah. I don't he doesn't do a lot of like where he's the guest. I don't I've never really seen any, to be honest. Like Yeah, he's like a he's a big deal at Spotify now. So yeah. he's you know, he's yeah, that's fine. But like, yeah. <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? But but he, he, he's written some. If you haven't, if people haven't read this, go read. Uh, I think it's called like the consequences of caring. Mm. Unbelievable post. So good. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. So Bill Simmons inspired you to be like, I don't need to like sell out to the algorithm. The algorithm of that time. The meta of that time. Yeah, and it's. it's like, I also think it helped that I I was in a pretty niche and uh, insulated industry. Like everybody kind of knew each other, and everybody talked about each other and everything. So it, it actually, I think it helped me get, get my name out even more because I was, I did have a knack for writing, it seemed. And I did eventually start posting some pretty good stuff. And, um, and so that kind of got talked about and shared. Do you remember what was, uh, like kind of your first thing that broke out? I really, in that era, I really don't, I really don't. It was so gradual, man. Yeah. Like my, it's funny because, you know, subtle art is so massive. Like, <laughs> I, it was funny when this is jumping ahead a little bit, but like when subtle art came out, 
and it blew up and it was like at the top of all the bestseller lists and stuff. Like everybody in the publishing industry were like, oh, you're like the new phenom debut author, overnight success. And all this. <laughs> I'm like, overnight success? I've been fucking grinding <laughs> on a blog for right. 10 years. Like, what do you mean overnight success? <laughs> right. Yeah, I was doing like, you know, that's like the low status thing in society. It's like, yeah, I'm a blogger. Yes, like, exactly. So you're unemployed? Like, what is that? Dude, you know? <laughs> Especially oh, back I, got, then. I got stories. Yeah. <laughs> I got stories. I remember uh, like 2013, 2014. And by this time, my, like my audience was pretty big. Like I had a few hundred thousand readers. And uh, I remember going home for Christmas one year and uh, kind of got in an argument with my parents. And my my stepmom was just like, when are you going to get a real job? And, and, and she was like, you know, I know such and such. Like they're hiring like a web designer. Right. You know, you could go do that. And I was like, that'd be a waste of my time. And she's like, oh, you could probably make a hundred thousand a year. And I was like, I already make a hundred thousand a year. And she just looked at me and she goes, no, you don't. It's <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> I was like, do you want tax returns? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, what do I have to do to get you people to believe in me? But, uh, anyway, we're jumping around now. Um, you know, the, con yeah, the content side, I don't know. I just, I had this weird confidence of like, I saw that Bill Simmons trajectory over the page two days and I'm, and he did it differently than everybody else. And I was like, why can't I do that? Right. And I, I'm not going to post 20 times a day. I'm just going to do like one epic article that everybody gets excited about. And that was kind of my MO. And it's funny because that eventually became the meta kind of in the more Facebook era, um, in the early 2010s. Uh, so I was like ahead of the curve, I guess on the marketing side, I was trash. I was just like, <laughs> Selling does not come natural to me at all. It was very much something that I had to consciously train myself, practice. I took a bunch of copywriting courses. Um, I like went to marketing seminars, pirated marketing seminars. Uh, like that was always the, it's funny because it's like the, the psychology side, the personal development side of everything, the social dynamics, the relationship advice, like, that all came very easily and naturally to me. Uh, and it was just, it was fun. It was like kind of a hobby. So it was like, I never really had to like work hard to kind of figure that out. Like anything I was working on getting better at in my business, it was always the sales and marketing stuff. Right. Like figuring that shit out. So you've done, uh, so those content reps got in, you obviously became a great writer and we'll talk about the book in a second, but I want to talk about what you're doing now, mm. which is the YouTube video. Sure. So, or the YouTube channel. And yeah. it seems like that's, I don't know. Is that your like? Is that like the main thing? Is that like this right is now my new baby? Is, right now, that's the new main thing. Yeah. And so uh, I think you dropped the first first like um, video maybe a couple days ago. Yeah. And doing super well. Can you pull it up? I want to actually do a little. So one of my favorite little content things is this um, this thing that happens in sports and football. Uh, they like take quarterbacks that are about to be drafted, and mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever seen this. They sit down, they like look at game film with them just to see kind of how they think. Sure. And um. It's my favorite thing in any podcast is like when you can really like, not like talking the abstract, yep. but talking the specific, like, like, why did you do this? Like, yeah, how did you think yeah. about this? Yeah. Um, and we, we hung out with Mr. Beast and when we did that with some of his videos and the way he thinks you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I get yeah, like, yeah. I learned something tactical, but also just, I get you more Yeah. Um, versus when you ask him general questions. And so I kind of want to play this game. I don't know how okay, it works, cool. but we'll try it. I want to know the thought that went into this. Let's watch the first 10 seconds. I want to hear you talk about it. Okay. What would you do if someone offered you $10,000 to do whatever it takes to overcome your social anxiety? Could you do it? Would you even know where to start? 
I decided to find out. All right, let's pause right there. Yeah, yeah. All right, walk me through that. Well, a lot was <laughs> happening there. What was, how do you think about this? Obviously some Mr. Beast inspiration here. He was very inspirational. So let me zoom out for a second uh, more broadly, and then I can kind of come back to this video yeah. specifically. So early in my career, I did a lot of coaching. First with the pickup stuff and then just kind of like life advice in general. I stopped coaching for a lot of reasons, but one of them was I was consistent. I was very frustrated by it, which was that I feel like the incent, like the way the incentives are structured within coaching industries uh, in the personal development world are counterproductive, right? So it's like, if you're paying me a bunch, like, let's say, I don't know, you have like self-esteem issues and you're paying me a bunch of money to like help you out. It's first of all, my incentive isn't to fix your self-esteem issues. Right. Like my my incentive is to make it feel like I'm fixing your self-esteem right. issues, even though they're still there. You're like a pharmaceutical company, yeah, right? Exactly. I don't cure you. <laughs> exactly. And then on your side of the equation, uh, it's what often happens in practice, like or on the customer side, is what often that happens in practice is people kind of show up, they pay you, say, $1,000, and they're like, well, I just paid you $1,000, so you deal with it, right? Like, <laughs> I've been dealing with this my whole life. I just paid you a bunch of money. You deal with it now, right? Like, that's actually what they're looking for. And so I hated that dynamic. It felt very, I mean, it works some of the time, but in a lot of cases, it felt very icky, and I kind of found myself in, like, awkward situations with clients and stuff. Uh, so I, I just got away from it. Uh, entirely and just kind of stuck to books and courses and everything. When I saw Mr. Beast, a light bulb went off. I was like, because I love Mr. Beast and like I've been watching his shit for a long time. But one of my frustrations with him is that it's all very surface level. Like yeah. I'll, I'll watch a Mr. Beast video and I'll get to the end and I'm like, I want to know about the guy There's who no won. character. Yeah. I'm like, tell me about the guy who won or tell me like you're down to four people. Tell me about their lives. Like bring their families in. Like I want to see, let's get some juicy drama going. Right? Way, I, I talked to him about this. Yeah. And I was like, uh, cause I was like, he was talking about like a Netflix or like TV shows. Yeah. And it was like, oh, like, you know, what can you learn about TV shows? What can you, what do you learn from like TV shows that have been running for a long time, do really well. Mm -hmm. And he, he says, he's like, uh, also, I think they can learn a lot from us. And he's like, yeah, uh, he's like, I'd love to see their retention curve. Um, right. He's like, right. They, they just don't know where people are dropping off. He's like, what we found was like, if you hit them, hit them, hit them with like the more of like the action and the yeah. stakes and then the, the quest and like the curiosity, you open the loop and like, that's going to keep people. He's like, but he's like, but I do think the one thing TV does well is character. He's like, we don't do any narrative or character yeah. and I got to figure out how I'm going to do that. Yeah. But he's like, I don't know. I don't, he's like, I don't know how to do that yet, but like, we should probably learn that. Yeah. Um, so this is this is kind of another side statement. And this gets more into like my personal strategy or like opportunities I see in the future. But like it's the current media environment. I think traditional media, they've always had the luxury of having that lock in of like you're in a theater and it's more it's like once you're in a theater, it's more difficult to leave than to sit through a bad movie. <laughs> so everybody just sits through a bad movie, you know, it, and it's in the previous era of television. It's you know, you don't want to sit there and like flip around for 10 minutes looking for something else. So you sit there and just kind of watch a mediocre show. So it's like traditional media is coming from a hundred years of a luxury of just having that buy-in and having you like locked in. And, and so they can take the time it requires to build character, build narrative, build, build drama, right. And, and create those very emotional moments that we've all had with our favorite movies right. and TV shows. YouTube is kind of the other way around. Like there's always shit fighting for your attention <laughs> and trying to get you to click off. And so 
YouTube is just retention, retention, retention. Like it's merciless and absolutely brutal. And so I think we're in an interesting media environment where YouTubers have become masters of retention. And the content on YouTube is super hooky. And click-through rate, right? Like yeah. those two, two variables. Yes, and super hooky, very clickbaity, like addictive, but also kind of empty calories. Right. Like you can just blow through like six videos and just be like, wait, what? Did I? I don't remember a single thing I just watched. And that's kind of unsatisfying. Traditional media is like caught in the other side of things of like, wait, shit, like people are watching our shows now with like their phones in front of them. And they're like, they've now got, five different streaming services they can pick from and they can switch easily switch to another movie like mid movie. Right. And so they're trying to catch up on the retention side of things. And I think YouTube is, is trying to catch up on the, the character development and drama side of things. And I think whoever figures it out first is going to like right. w- win really big. But anyway, back to the Mr. Beast thing and the coaching thing. So I was watching Mr. Beast videos for a couple of years. And then like last year I was, I was kind of taking this break and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next in my own career. And I had felt this about his videos for a long time. And, and I started thinking, I'm like, man, like, what if you, what if you built the challenges in a way that like forced character development? Like what if the challenges weren't built around like, you know, stand in a circle or, right. uh, you know, c- keep your hand on a car. Like what if it was built Put around on this Lamborghini? <laughs> yeah, like what if it was built around like a real personal issue that like you have to investigate to like try to understand. Right. And, and that's when the light bulb went off because I'm like, not only does that potentially create like very amazing transformative YouTube content, but it solves that coaching issue as well. Because when you take somebody who's struggled their entire life with say anxiety or an issue, the problem is never that this comes back to the information thing. The problem is never, I don't have the information to fix my problem. The problem is they're just not doing it. Right. <laughs> like they're not fucking going out and doing it. And so, and they could pay a coach a thousand bucks and the coach can say, okay, well, you paid me a thousand bucks. Now go do it. And sometimes that works, but not always. Or you could say, I'll give you a thousand bucks if you go do it and fix your own shit. Right. Like, what does that look like? Right. Like, what is like it, the most effective la- lever for behavior change is financial incentive. And so what if you actually create financial incentive for people to actually go deal with their shit and mm-hmm. like do the things that they've always known that they need to do and they've just never had the guts to do it? And so that's when I was like, holy. That's kind of genius, yeah. I was like, fuck, I need to make this. Uh, So this is our first attempt at it. And it's funny because this was shot end of April, early May. This is, we're recording this end of July. Um, There are all, like, I'm already aware of like 15 things that are wrong with this video. (laughs) And like, there are like, it's it's actually underperforming our, our expectations. And like, there's so many things that we need to fix. But it's the first rep. Yeah, it's the first rep. It's like the first it's like the beta test, but super, super excited about the format that makes a ton of sense. And uh, also, like even just mechanically, like the things you just said. So if you know coaching is getting somebody to like transform uh, the way the transformers, not information is doing it. Yeah. Best way to get somebody to do it is maybe a financial incentive or even like the fact that they agree to be in the content. And it's like there's a contract there to like do the thing. but you also, how can you offer $10,000 to, why could you pay your, cl- that's not a sustainable business, but it is if it's YouTube content, right? Exactly. So like, you have like almost the full loop to be able to make something it creates uh, work. A, it creates a very beautiful flywheel of, you're helping that individual. So in, in this video, it's a woman named Melinda. So I'm helping Melinda and she did get amazing results. Uh, you know, she's finally doing the things that she's always known that she should do or has always wanted to do. 
you get to all the people watching, because I could easily make a video of me sitting at a desk talking about social anxiety right. for 15 minutes. Everybody's heard the same shit. They've all like, everybody knows what I'm going right. to say. Now, millions of people get to actually watch somebody overcome a their character overcome. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, that's what, how people respond in that situation. Right. You it's know? the difference between watching Rocky and then some, or somebody sitting at a chair and saying, you should kind of work really hard. Yeah, yeah. It's a different emotional <laughs> register. And totally. one you remember 20 years later and still think about when you work out. Yeah. And the other one, you don't. <laughs> totally. So it's the qualitative feedback on this. It's been, honestly, it's been some of the best of my entire career. Like we, if you look through the comments of this video, there's tons of comments of people saying, I cried. Right. This was me. Oh my God. Like, I was not expecting this. This is so powerful. You know, it, it, it's pretty incredible. And so how did you think about those first 10, 15 seconds? I don't know how, how long we went, but like, what are you tr trying to achieve in those first 15 seconds of this video? So the, with YouTube content, there's always this question of like, what's the hook? Like, what's going to get people to buy in? What's yeah. going to get people to stick around? And one of the challenges that we face with this format is that all of the, all the stuff that we're having people do it's, it's, it's super abstract. Like social, social anxiety is super abstract. Like how do you show social anxiety? It's like not very obvious right. how you show that visually uh, or like low self-esteem. How do you show that visually? So we were thinking about like, okay, what are like kind of like hooks or gimmicks that we can like implement into the format that can get people bought in, right? And the first and most obvious in this, in the current Mr. Beast meta briefcase of cash. is fucking money, right? <laughs> it's like everybody on YouTube's doing it. It seems to be working for a lot of people. So kind of the, the obvious starting point is like, okay, well, what if we the Jedi, right? Jedi and the numbskull. Yes. <laughs> what if you gave him $10,000? Yeah. It's like, what if you gave him $10,000? Yeah. <laughs> but the funny thing is, is that it actually, this intro did not perform very well. Yeah. And so and what, it, do, what is that? What tells you that? Like you're looking at the curve, you're like, the oh, retention chart. What, yeah. what should it have been? Yes. Uh, for, what, what do you think it should have been to be like good? Well, I think the the issue with this is that even though it's money, it's still it's still not visual enough. It's still too abstract. And so I think what we've learned from this one is that the new approach needs to be we just need to start like mid challenge. So like the first challenge in this video is just approach. We yeah, we take her into a mall and we tell her she has to find somebody from Canada and like she and by the way, it's so funny because she it's it's so like relatable, which yeah. is why I think you should have started with this. I was actually yes. going to suggest this. Yeah, it's so relatable because you tell her like someone in this mall is from Canada. You need to go approach them and ask them and find them. And she's like nervous laugh. And then she starts like faking being on a phone yes. call, like which is everybody's done it. Like and then she's like, it's like, are you faking a phone? It's like, yeah. Yeah, I am. I just, I don't know. It makes me feel more comfortable. Dude, she it's was so relatable. Such a spaz. Right. <laughs> such a spaz. It was really fun. And, and yeah, in hindsight, it's like, we should have just opened up with that and then explain the format later. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, we're new. We're, we're, we're paving the road as we drive you also down. Have to it, like so cast. Yes. Which is hard. And yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. And like, this is kind of reality TV. For sure. You, and there's also like, how this i would say this is a common theme from the pickup to uh subtle art to now this which is how do you avoid selling out so like yeah when you've been in the the industry you kind of know okay if i pull this lever i'm gonna get more juice yeah like maybe maybe this will let's just pretend if this woman's transformation was not that that crazy but like in the edit you could kind of like oh for sure make this video better it's like do we want to have our video be better or worse obviously yeah. better but at the same time we don't want to sell out how have you just dealt with that? Like, how hard do I want to turn the knob or pull the lever of like, 
you know, manipulation to make something work. The few that we've shot, all of them have been very successful so far, but I've told the team that I want to be, eventually we're going to hit one that's not successful. Like we don't help the person. It doesn't work. Right. Or maybe we help them a little, but they don't get there. Right. right? Uh, I think it's very, very important to be honest about that and to actually make a video, like have the video kind of explore why that is, right. you know, um, because it's, yeah, there's a credibility and authenticity that it's just so, so important, especially, and that's, it's been one of my criticisms of my own industry for 10, 15 years of just like the lack of trustworthiness, the lack right. of credibility. Because if you promise the magic pill that works in two minutes, you're going to sell more and than it, if you say this takes you two years of tough work, right? Right. So you've probably dealt with that a bunch and like maybe now, you know, you got fuck you money from the book and you're like, I, yeah. don't, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, yeah. I guess how has that changed? Well, your I'm psychology? very fortunate in that the book did. Well, first of all, it is true. The book did so well that I do have fuck you money. So I don't really care. Like this is this YouTube project's losing money and it's probably going to lose money for a year or two. And right. I'm fine with that. Uh, but like it's I'm also very fortunate that I made my money being very explicit about that, that like there is no magic pill. There is no cure all. Like it's funny, dude, like even when you dig into research on uh, therapies, like what modality of therapy is the most right. effective, right? You start looking at the research and it's, it's startling because there's nothing that has more than a 50% hit rate. <laughs> nothing. Like not, there's no form of therapy that is successful, like produces positive outcomes more than 50% of the time, which is crazy. Cause it's like therapy is like the most tried and true. Like we've had it for 200 years. Like it's the one thing everybody's like is directed to go to. So there's in, in the world of psychology, there's just so much that we don't know what works like, and what works for you could completely fail for me and vice versa. Right. Cause everybody's so individual. So to your point about casting, a huge part of our casting process is doing pre-shoot interviews, me doing pre-shoot pre conversations and interviews with the person to really gauge of like, is this a person I can help? Because for every video we shot, we talked to probably two or three people and half of those people, I'm like, you know, not really confident I can actually like right. get them over the line. Whereas like with this, with this woman, you know, I talked to her and within 10 minutes, I'm like, yeah, right. no, I could give me a week with her. I'm like, I could get, I can get something out of it. Right. You know? Did you, um, do you watch the TV show, the bear? By any chance? I have not. Everybody says it's amazing, but I've not yet. Yeah. It's actually, it's a little bit, I would say it's a little bit slow, but it pays off. It's the thing you talked about, which is like yeah. the retention curve for me was terrible at the beginning. Sure. It's, it's slow. It's like, it's like one of those like cool shows where it's like, you know, we're not going to like be clickbaity. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm kind of used to that hit. So, yeah, you know, yeah, like if yeah. you're really going to pay this off with character, it's going <laughs> to take some time. But man, it does. There's like a episode in the second season. that's like such a huge payoff on character that like now I'm like telling everybody, you got to watch the show. Just get to the second season, get to the end of it. Yeah. The, you know, it's so, so satisfying. But there, um, but we, we, so we reached out to one of the writers and we, we were like, hey, you know, respect and uh, just we like to learn from people like that. Like, how do you do this? How do you do mm -hmm. this character thing? Um, have you learned anything in the process of like doing these videos of like, because it's new, it's not writing, it's not books. You now have like casting and characters and yeah. stuff that you probably haven't done before. Like, first of all, I'm learning a million things. One of the reasons I wanted to do this too, I should specify is like, you know, I came out of this period, the post-subtle art period of my career. I did three books back to back to back. I did a movie, like 
a bunch of traditional media success. Like everything was wildly successful, very busy, lots of money. I moved to LA. I took took a few months off and I was just like, man, I miss like the grindy grassroots internet right. stuff, right? And but what I also realized is like I miss being bad at something. Like I miss I miss just like throwing shit at a wall and being like, did that work? Like, no. All right, let's try this. You know, like in right. in in traditional media, I don't you don't really have the flexibility to do that. Like you're you're being if a studio or a large publisher is bringing you in, it's because like they know you can make a hit and you right. need to make a fucking hit. Right. And so I, I miss the internet days of like, all right, let's try 10 things and just know that like six are going to fail. And uh, like, that's just exciting to me. And so part of this project was like, I want to learn, I want to get back on a learning curve and like experience that again. And so, yeah, I've been learning a million things about video production about, um, storytelling, visual storytelling in, in particular, like one, one of the big lessons from this video is that I still very much just write like a book writer. Like a lot of the mistakes that were made in this video, it's because it was organized in such a way that would work really well on like an article or a book. Right. But it works terribly on video. What's an example? What do you so mean an that? example is, for, is like the intro, right? It's like, that's a great intro on paper. It's a terrible intro on video because it's abstract. It's not visually interesting. You know, it's like you start with the challenge, right? This woman spaz running around a mall, like asking people they're from Canada. Like that's super weird. And you're like, what? Right. What's going on? And then it's <laughs> like you slowly like drip context over the course of like 10 minutes. Whereas when you're writing a book or or an article, like you have you need to put all the context up front of like, this is what we're doing. This is what this is about. Right. You know, it's like the old school essay. It's like, you got to have your thesis in the first <laughs> paragraph and then you got to have your three bullets and like all this stuff. So I still, my brain still kind of defaults to that. And I'm having like untrained myself in a lot of ways. The funny thing is, is like, and again, one of the reasons I'm doing this is I think my natural strength is story and character and narrative like that that's where I shine naturally. What I'm weaker at is the retention, the hooks, the like, uh, Gen Z shit, the Gen Z shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Naturally. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's something, have you ever heard this term like the millennial pause? No. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, if you were to, it's like, what's the millennial pause? It's basically Gen Z people. If you watch the start of their video starts with them already, they're already talking. So they're like mid word. Oh yeah. As the video starts. Whereas every millennial is like, they click record and like, hey, everybody. And like, that little like, that little pause is like, you're already swiped on TikTok if you haven't like, you got to be like mid interesting thing. And I was like, that's so fucking true. That's funny. That's so true. That's so funny, man. <laughs> you, so you're doing this, this uh, series. What's like the craziest or most interesting challenge? I, I guess you can't give it away too much, but like what, what concepts are like, oh, I can't wait to see how that's going to turn out. Or like, I really want to try something like this. A lot of the, the social stuff is like the most, interesting it because it, it's you can do a lot of fear-based stuff i mean you can take somebody up in a plane and right. throw them out you know make them skydive or whatever and that's exciting but like i don't know it it doesn't feel like there's as much depth as like the social stuff right. so uh we have a challenge in another video where i printed out flat earth flyers saying like you know do you do you know the truth about the planet <laughs> you know it's a picture of a flat earth and i made her go into a, a public place and hand them out to people. Right. And like try to convince them to be flat earthers. And she was like absolutely mortified, like <laughs> just horrified. And uh, 
but it's super fun because then it's like, well, why do you care? Like, you don't know these people. You're never going to see them again. Like, why do you care? Why right. is it so horrifying? Right? Like, it's just, yeah, it's super exciting. For me, this is honestly, it's the most fun I'm having in my career in probably six or seven years. Which is a dope lesson because, you know, you wrote a book with Will Smith, yeah. you had a movie, you know, you got to do a bunch of things that like, I would say are like the on paper, like mm -hmm. the hashtag goals people sure. think they want. And uh, like, actually, that's not yeah. where the source of joy and, and happiness comes from. Yeah. I, think you, I think you had said something which was like, happiness is from solving problems. Yep. Is that, is that you? Yeah. Which is when you start at the beginning of a learning curve, you're just going to suck and solve a bunch of problems to make something good. Yeah. And that's a lot more satisfying than... Uh, For me, at least it is. You know, I'm sure there are people out there who prefer like kind of a traditional media environment. But one of the things I learned is that I can do traditional media projects and I can do very well at them, but like, I don't feel that same passion with them as I, as I do with stuff like this. Like right. I like owning my own stuff. I like experimenting. I like the creative process, like having the complete creative freedom and then also owning it and then also getting the package it and also like controlling the brand around it. Like it's also part of, I mean, we can talk about this too, but um, <laughs> it's, it's funny, like, so when my movie came out and I did all the press for the movie, every single journalist I talked to was like, so are you going to do another movie? And like, in my head, I'm like, fuck no, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm going to go make a YouTube channel because it's <laughs> like, that was actually my lesson from making a movie was like, I should actually, it. I should just have a YouTube channel like right. this is, because the economics of the creator economy are fundamentally better. The distribution is miles better. You have like complete ownership. There's complete creative freedom. Like I, I just don't see how this doesn't end up ahead right. in ten years. It's like hanging by like a prestige thread. It really is, right? Of like, oh yeah, status. It really is, and it's. I'm sure. I, I don't think like Hollywood's gonna die, but I, I imagine it's gonna be very similar to like kind of what's happened with like newspapers and Twitter. Of like there's still prestigious newspapers and they still kind of matter a little right. bit. Like it's still nice to like be in the New York times or whatever, but the real intellectual debate and substance in like the stuff that drives culture happens on Twitter and Substack and right. has for years now. Right. And it's like, I think we're coming up on an inflection point that that's, that's also going to happen in video and audio based media. I think it's probably already happened with podcasts. And it's about to happen with video as well, where it's like, yeah, there's still going to be like Marvel movies and stuff and Netflix is going to have its TV shows and it's going to be very prestigious to be on those. But like culture is going to be driven by like it probably within this decade, creators, they're going to grow up for one uh, and two, the production value is going to get better. The storytelling is going to get better and it's going to it's going to hit an inflection point where it starts driving culture and not. The right. traditional media. If it's not already, I mean, uh, wouldn't you say I think, it is already? I, I well, think well, if, you, if you're under 25, it is already. Right. Fair enough. I want to talk to you about titles because I think you're a title master. Um, do you think you're good at titles? <laughs> Apparently, I, yeah, I yeah. guess. <laughs> so, so the book. I don't feel good at them, but. <laughs> the book obviously has a good title and it started with, the, the book came from a blog post, correct? Like, yes. It wasn't intended to be like a book. It was like, yeah, here's a blog post. Why'd you know to turn that one into a book, by the way? Was it like. Did it hit in a different way or? Yeah, that, that is that one. I mean, I had a lot of articles go viral over that period, like 2012 to 2015. Like I probably had 10 or 12 articles go 
super viral. But that one just hit on like a whole nother level. Like gotcha. it was, so I had already written probably half the book when that article came out. And then when that article hit the way it did, my agent was like, hey, uh, <laughs> I think you could uh, change the title of the book. <laughs> yeah. And you hadn't done a book in years, right? Before that? No, I just done models. models was right. It. So you were, uh, you're, you're, but you were already thinking about a book and then it was like, yeah. Oh, lean into this one. Yeah. So there's this di uh, little picture or diagram. That's, is that, did you make that or um, the one of the guy floating away on the balloons? Is that, oh, that was, is that a, from something? What that, is this? That was an old meme back in the day. Uh, okay. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And <laughs> that's, I, uh, that's like as good as that midwit meme. It's like, yes, this image can become like, yeah, you know, transformational. It's funny. Yeah. I haven't seen that. That I used, that used to be around everywhere back in like 2013, 2014. And then it's, I haven't seen it in a long time. Right. There was also the original article also, because back then a big part of packaging an article for like Facebook and Twitter was what image pops up. When share you, meta, the meta. Yeah. The, when you share. And so we, we used to spend a lot of, you know, kind of similar like thumbnails on YouTube. We used to spend a lot of time like looking for the right image for the share, share image on, on Facebook. And, uh, I think the other thing that made that article work was I think on Reddit one day, just randomly on Reddit, I saw somebody had photoshopped a picture of a kitten in front of like a bomb exploding, yes, kind of like I've an action scene. That, that meme is, is huge. Yeah. And so we pulled that and used that as like the, the share. <laughs> yeah, the share, the share image. And it was just kind of this magical combo of content, title, image, and it just like all worked. Do you remember how you thought of that title? So the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Where does that come from are you um, just sitting down are you just hammering out a bunch of possibilities or i back then i used to keep a list of article ideas like just kind of a running list of ideas that i would just add to like i'd have conversations with people and something would pop up and i just pull out my phone add it to right. the list um and it came from it came from there was a heavy metal song uh from a band called lamb of god they had a they had a song called the subtle art of murder and persuasion okay. and um and at that time, I had just done, I think, two different articles with fuck in the title. Like, I, I had just kind of discovered that if you put fuck in the title, it, <laughs> it would... Go further. It would, yeah, it, everything would go further. So I was, like, adding fuck to all my titles or to a bunch of my, my titles at the time. And so I was just kind of on the lookout of, like, cool titles that you could add, add fuck into. Um, and I think I knew I wanted to do an article about not giving a fuck because uh, that was just an obvious topic. Uh, and so when I heard that song, I was like, well, oh, subtle art, not giving, like, that's pretty right. damn good. Like, I should use that. <laughs> Let's pull up some of your other ones. So you have uh, the most important question of your life. Yep. That's good. I like that. Was that was a huge one. Because you got to know. I need yeah. to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what does this jackass think yeah. you know? It's like, probably nothing, but let me just check. Yeah, the it's... most important X, uh, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's always going to work. You have uh, life is a video game and here are the cheat codes. That's yeah. like a, you know, faster path. That, that's become a... Um, I feel like that's become a, it's, so this is the other thing. Like, I think a lot of, I guess my skill with this just came from cranking out articles in the Facebook era of like trying to get articles to go viral. Cause it was like so much of it had to do with the title and it's been interesting, you know, now that it's been 10 years, it's been interesting because some of these have kind of just become, I guess, classic. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, you just see, there's probably 10 different brands that use these same titles all the time and like right. the life is a video game one is like i see that everywhere i wrote this thread about um that uh, the first line of it was everybody everybody seems to think clubhouse is the next big thing yeah um but i think it's gonna fail 
and it's like, uh, grab some popcorn. Here's here's how I think it goes down. Yeah, yeah. And um, that thing went crazy viral, and like, uh, and like my hero, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, starts following me. Bill Simmons DMs me. It's like, <laughs> oh shit, this is like, this is amazing. I didn't know this could happen because like today the Facebook meta doesn't really work, but like no. Twitter threads actually for a period of time last recently could could go viral, and uh, and now that same theme is oh, like people just replace people think AI is the next yep. big thing but here's uh, you know he grabs a popcorn here's how i think it goes down it's like yeah. the copy paste but it obviously like loses effect of course as, as it goes that's the other interesting thing too that's kind of changed in the last 10 years like there was a real and I, I i don't have any moral judgment around this but it's you know 10 years ago it was very much a sense of like if you came up with a title that like like a banger it was like that was yours, yours right yeah. yeah you know and it's like no and if somebody stole it it was like they're a piece of shit and right. we'd call them out and your audience would call them out and like i used to get emails from fans being like this guy copied your article right. and like all this stuff like i never get those emails anymore like it's everybody just rips everybody off now <laughs> and so anybody who posts anything that goes viral anywhere there's a like the next day there's half-life <laughs> there's 20 more versions on every platform and it's just like it's the way the game's played today. It's that meme that it's like, you know, I made this thing. And then it's like the yeah. other guy holding it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. I made this thing. I made this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think people even are, are, are aware of it anymore. Yeah. Um, blo is blogging dead? I think it it depends on how you define dead. So there was an era in the early 2010s where a you a blog could gain reach beyond its own specific niche. Like it, you could kind of get mainstream audience like hit hit like a critical mass i think today you can still make a living off a blog it's just you've got to have your niche figured out you got to like really be tuned into them and you're probably never going to scale an audience past like low six figures um whereas 10 years ago i mean i think at my peak i was getting like two two and a half million visitors a month right so it's it's a it's a different world now. It is still possible, but it's like, I think it really only, if you're going to go a blog route instead of podcast or video, like it, it, you have to have a really good reason. And it probably has to be a very specific niche to do right. it. Did you podcast or do you podcast? I do not. Is there like a reason or why didn't it? I never started one just because of lack of bandwidth, uh, just like writing too many books. Um, and then, but now that I'm doing the video stuff, like I'm probably going to do something in the podcasting space. It, it won't be something like this. Like last thing the world needs is another interview podcast. Yeah, don't but, step on my turf. Yeah, 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 right. I made this. <laughs> I made this. This is mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I do think it's, I think it, I would like to be in this medium in some shape or form. So right. uh, you did a book with Will Smith and presumably spent a bunch of time with Will Smith. Yep. You know, when people meet celebrities, I always ask, like, what are they like? Yeah. It's not like, I don't know, it's just a real specific question. It's kind of like, that's what everybody How wants. are they? Yeah, yeah everybody, yeah. everybody is like, how are they as a person? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, like, are they a dick? Are they awesome? There's like that version of it. But to me, I'm sort of like, what was this? What was something you saw them do or like something you witnessed that was like, just not how the common person would have approached mm. a given situation? So the quick answer to the the one everybody always asks which is like what's he like in person he is exactly like the fresh prince like that is <laughs> i spent the i remember spending one day with him and then i went back to the hotel and and called my wife and i was like he did not act on that show like <laughs> they literally just put him in a room and then put actors around him right. <laughs> like that is that is his personality 
Will Will is like there are a few dimensions that I think he is like at the extreme end of the bell curve. The the most obvious one that's not going to surprise anybody is just his charisma. Like he is by far the most naturally charismatic person. I mean, it, it can literally just be like me and him sitting in a kitchen at midnight talking about cartoon. Like he's so charismatic, just right. like built into him. And so it's not hard. You spend a little bit of time with him and it's not hard to see and understand like, oh, okay, I see why this guy's so famous. Right. His mind is is very almost delusionally positive like he kind of has this like you know we all have a little bit of a the psychologist dan gilbert calls it a psychological immune system which is like when bad things happen we kind of like rationalize or explain them in a way that you know makes us feel better or helps us his psychological immune system like it's just negativity just bounces right off him any sort of failure or setback like he doesn't doesn't bum him out like I, I've never really been around somebody who is so easily to like able to construe challenges and obstacles in a way that that is confident and beneficial. Like it's actually very impressive, but it's funny because it also gets them in trouble. Like when there actually is a problem that needs to be addressed and you do need to be sad and you do need to like deal with it. He just rationalizes it in such a positive way so quickly that it it kind of like it, it can cause problems for him. And that's that's actually one thing he and I talked about for the book is that, you know, he came from a very chaotic and like abusive childhood. And he said, he's like, I developed that as like a survival mechanism. Right. And it's helped me so much throughout my life and my career. Like, I'm just absolutely relentless. Like anything goes wrong, it never bothers me. Like I just get up and do it again. But yeah, it's like I'm a little bit untethered to reality sometimes. <laughs> like, uh, so that that's like that was very interesting and and remarkable when you saw the Chris Rock slap or whatever. That's obviously kind of like not like you know Mr. Positive or whatever in that moment. Were, nope. you, were you like, yeah? What was your kind of? Were you like stunned? Uh, like because you know him more than like everybody's shocked because it's a shocking <laughs> thing. But yeah. when you know the person. You might have like either it's even more shocking than than that, or it's less because you understood maybe it was where he's coming from. It was definitely less shocking for me. Um, he slapped you once or twice. You, yeah, you're, you're like, yeah, it's common. <laughs> Keep her name out of your mouth. Uh, no, I mean, like one of the things, and we, this is in the book. He had a very abusive alcoholic father. He used to beat the shit out of his mom, and he was the oldest. He was the oldest child. He was the male, right? So he felt responsible and very protective and so he has a lot of issues around women he's very protective he's very sensitive like the women in his life are his achilles heel like that's if you want to get to him like right. that's the route like you can talk shit about him all day all night he's gonna sit there and laugh be fine whatever right it's like you go after his mom his daughter or his wife like shit's gonna get real real fast and so I wasn't surprised. It was funny, actually. I, I was watching it with my wife live and like my wife turned to me and she was like, this is a bit, right? And I was like, no, that's not a bit. Like he's actually saying that right now. She was like, what? <laughs> you send him a text afterwards or you like just Dude. give him space? Because <laughs> uber famous people, you like, it's hard to even navigate. It's like, you don't want to be one of those people. Yeah. You're also like, I, if I'm your friend, do I just send you something? It's, like, 
Yeah, it's weird. That's yeah. a whole, like, <laughs> we could spend an hour just talking about that. That's, like, super weird. It's funny, too, because it's, like, everybody who I've ever known in my life messaged me that night asking for, like, my opinion right. or whatever. And I'm, like, <laughs> literally people, like, I haven't talked to since high school, you know, are like reaching out. I'm like, wait, this is the thing right. that got you to reach out. Like all the shit I did, you didn't like, didn't bother, like, you know, couldn't be bothered to, to, to say anything, but like this, this got you to, to reach out to me. All right. All right. Yeah. That, that was just, I mean, it, like something can win the internet for the day and like yeah. that won the internet for the oh, day. So, you was, know, it has like insane reach. It was insane. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for doing this, by the way. I know of course, that man. you, uh, you know, you kind of didn't know what you're going to do. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a fun time. Yeah, uh, I definitely did because you're somebody I followed for a long time. And I think the people I respect the most, like some people respect like Elon Musk the most. Some people mm -hmm. respect because it's like, oh, he conquers, like, you know, taking us to another planet. Yeah. Uh, but I always admire thinkers. Like I think uh, a great thinker is somebody who's, who puts out original thoughts and I don't know, makes you think about the world a little differently. Those are my favorite types of people. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, and, uh, dude. I'm glad, glad we did it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Uh, my where, pleasure. Where do you want people to go? The YouTube channel, I'm assuming. is Check the, out the YouTube channel. There's going to be more of those videos coming out. Is it just Mark Manson? What, what is the... Yeah, if you just search Mark Manson on YouTube, it'll, it'll pop up. And then uh, markmanson.net, got a newsletter there. Um, and I think that's, you know, buy the books, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> buy my shit. <laughs> awesome. Cool, that's a wrap. All right. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I can be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back.